If you are joining us online, I'm sure you already have taken your seats. So if you want to open up your Bibles, all of us, to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. I'm going to intro the psalm, and then I'm going to have us all stand and read it together to give honor to the Lord's Word. But uh, let me get you ready for Psalm 46 before we even read it. I want to take you all the way back 27 years ago to Marietta, Georgia. And in Marietta, Georgia, I was, I was my first pastorate at a church down there. And I found myself sitting in my office with a husband and wife by the name of Art and Shelley. Art was a, he was an engineer with a railroad. And if I could just picture for you, if I could describe for you a man that bottles up his emotions, strong, hands so big, but never showed his feelings. Always very introverted, always very sober. Maybe you can picture that kind of a man. He's sitting in my office and he began to tell me a story that I had never heard before. He began to tell me about how he and his wife, Shelly, took their two sons, Scott and Ryan. Ryan was eight years old at the time onto uh, to vacation to Tennessee. They're going up Route 75. And it was raining pretty hard. They're going with the flow of the traffic, which is probably 60, 65 miles per hour. When all of a sudden, Art, who was driving, his car hydroplaned. And it began to spin on the highway, Route 75. And when it began to spin, it actually crashed into the, the concrete divider between the two north and southbound lanes. And it split the car in half. Ryan, his eight-year-old, was sleeping in the back seat. He was not buckled in, and it jettisoned him out and along the highway over 100 feet, and he later died in the hospital. And when Art was telling me this, I need you to understand how he was looking. He had tears streaming down his face. His face was so ready. I don't think he had told anybody this story before. His hands were just clenched. He was so angry with God. I worked with Art for about two more years before I left Georgia, came to Pennsylvania. To my, to my knowledge, he never was able to get past that anger, that grief. You know, they set out for Tennessee that morning. They had no idea what was about to happen. And friends, that's the nature of trials. You almost never see them coming. And when life shifts radically beneath your feet and an upheaval in life comes, how are we going to stand firm in our faith? How will we maintain our confidence in our great God when that time happens? Well, we're about to read Psalm 46, and I need you to understand what's going on in Psalm 46. Most believe that the superpower of the day, the Assyrian army, which had already conquered Israel. So Israel is the northern kingdom by this point because there had been a civil war. Judah was down below in the southern kingdom. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, is in Judah. And the king of Judah is Hezekiah. And about 108 years before this psalm, Assyria had already conquered 
the northern 10 tribes. Now they're coming after Judah. Over 185,000 Assyrian soldiers camped outside the walls of Jerusalem. And they sent a letter to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and they were threatening to destroy all of the inhabitants of God's people. They were mocking them as being weak. They had already destroyed 46 cities on their way to Jerusalem. They were mocking their God and threatening their destruction. What will Hezekiah do? That's what's behind Psalm 46. Will you stand with me as we read together? Let's give honor to God's word. Psalm 46 reads like this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, Though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You may be seated at the conclusion of the reading of God's word. You know, most people believe that Psalm 46 was the inspiration for Martin Luther to write that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Luther, born in 1483, he lived during that incredible pandemic that had desolated one quarter of Europe's population. It was called the Black Plague. We know it more medically as bubonic plague. People were fleeing from the city of Wittenberg because it had raged for 200 years, this pandemic. And it was coming now again to the city in Germany of Wittenberg where Luther lived, and they were urging him to flee, but he refused. In fact, he wrote a pamphlet to the church to guide them through this pandemic. He reminded them that the fear of death is the devil's work. Did you hear that? The fear of death is the devil's work, and Christians must never give in to it. You know what Luther did? Instead of fleeing Wittenberg at the height of this pandemic in a city, he went out and he poured himself into the care of the sick and the dying. He would not let people die without hearing the good news of how they could be saved through Jesus Christ. 
And he wrote this hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, inspired by Psalm 46, and it goes like this in part. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. There's a plague going on. How is he going to encourage the church? Psalm 46 was his inspiration. And that's what we're learning now in this mini-series called Immovable. The point of the series is simply this. When an upheaval in life comes, and it will come, the Bible calls them trials, storms, And when they come, how can our faith, how can our confidence in God remain sure? So let me give you an imagery as we get ready to launch into this psalm. Let me give you an analogy, a metaphor for you to gain some traction in your mind. What we're going to have is a raging river of an upheaval in life. There are five rocks that will help you cross that river that Psalm 46 will give us. And every single one, now listen, every single one of them is a name of God that will reveal his power, his attributes, and his clarity, and we need the name of the Lord when a trial in life comes. Listen to this from Proverbs 18. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. So Christian, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. If we're going to become immovable in our faith, even while the ground shakes below us, We've got to run into that name. We've got to know it. Now, let me give you one bit of caution or actually encouragement before we get really diving into this psalm. This is actually an incredibly important thing I'm going to tell you. We're going to be crossing this raging river of a storm in life, Psalm 46. How do you get across it successfully? There's going to be five stones that will plant themselves Firmly, securely. They will not shift when you jump to it. It is immovable. It is the name of God, five of them. How do we learn them to the point where they can sustain us in our trials? Now, listen, here's the important thing. Right now, I'm going to give you so much information on the names of God. It's going to come into your mind. I think most of you are going to be really interested in this. You're going to be, wow, that's neat. I never knew that before. But now, you need to understand, mind knowledge, knowledge of information will not sustain you through a trial in life. It will not. If it's only here, your faith will shake. It has to move from information to absolute experiential wisdom and trust. How does it move from here to your heart, the spiritual control center of your life? How does it move? It only moves one way. The only way to get it from here to your heart is through faith. You must believe it. And you must act on it. And what I'm going to be doing all throughout this message is we go one stone after another, all five of them that the psalmist gives us. We're going to be challenged. Do you believe it? Do you trust God? Do you have faith in what his name is revealing? And you can begin moving it here so that when you get out of this church and when a trial in life comes without bidding, without warning, it will sustain you 
with a sure and confident faith. Here we go, three points. Number one, during times of upheaval, remember that God is present with us. We learn this from verse one. Look what it says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, I don't want to tell you how you should listen to a sermon, but yeah, I kind of do. So let me just tell you this. Let me encourage you. If you don't have your Bibles open right now, this sermon's probably not going to impact you with all the power that it can. Get your Bibles open, and you need to be looking at it. And if you've got a pen, underline some of these names, put them, their meanings in the margin, so that when you read Psalm 46 in 10 years, you'll remember what these names mean. We've just encountered the first name of God unspectacularly in the very first word, God. In the English, that doesn't really help us much, right? But you remember the Old Testament is translated from the Hebrew language, so we've got to go beyond the veil of the English into the Hebrew language to be able to get the power of this name, and the power of this name is this, it is Elohim. Elohim is the name for the creator who exercises sovereignty over all of his creation. Here's the power of Elohim. God created everything there is, and there is not one square inch of it that he is not sovereignly presiding over it. Now, let's get into your life now. Haven't you ever felt... God, this area of my life, what's happening to me? Maybe it's you're losing your job. Maybe you're losing your marriage. Maybe you've got a diagnosis of cancer. Maybe you've got heart disease. There's a part of my life, God, that doesn't seem, it doesn't feel like you're sovereign over. And Elohim is going to divinely echo into your soul, if if you will believe it, there's not a square inch of anything that I am not the Lord of. You know, Elohim is the first name that the entire Bible gives us in Genesis 1-1. Four words into it, we are introduced to the God who goes by the name Elohim. He could be saying this, hello, my name is Elohim. I created all that there is. It is mine. I rule over every inch of it. Therefore, my child, you can trust me. But he doesn't rule from a galaxy away. Listen, that's what theology calls the transcendence of God, that he is over all of his creation. There's not only the transcendence of God, there's what's called the immanence of God, meaning that he rules within his creation. So yes, he's over it all, but he's within it all, and the psalmist tells us exactly that. Verse 1, he's a very present help in trouble, not a distant help. Look, at verse 5. He's in the midst. Look at verse 7. He's among, that's with us in verse 7. And verse 10, he's among the nations. Our God is right with us. And because of that, look at verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Now, if you can look at me for just a moment, here's what I'm doing. We are crossing a raging river, and there are five rocks 
spaced to get us across safely. And we just jumped to the very first one. And listen, Christian, it did not move beneath our feet. It did not shift. We did not totter. We did not need to regain our balance. For God is Elohim. He is the sovereign creator of everything there is, and he rules over it and in the midst of it. And while storms and trials and upheavals in life are going to come to all of us, we have a refuge. We have a strength. And that strength is Elohim who is right there with us. And verse 5 says, we shall not be moved. Okay, I just put into your mind some information that Psalm 46 gave to us. But if it stays here and it doesn't go here, that's not going to help you when the storms come. So you've got to move it from your mind. You've got to get it down into your heart. And the only way that it moves is by faith. Will you trust your God who is Elohim? Point number two, during times of upheaval, remember that the Lord's power is with us, not just his presence, but his power. Look at verse four, the psalmist tells us that the people of God of every age, God is the holy, the people of God is the holy habitation of the most high. We've just now jumped to our second rock in the raging torrent of an upheaval. The most high God is the name El Elyon. El for God, Elyon. It's the name for the absolute power of God, and it is exercised in an absolutely perfect and good way. Did you hear that? This is what El Elyon means, is that God is absolutely in full power and all the time displaying it in absolute perfection of goodness. The name Most High God is telling us that his goodness will sustain us in any trial. And by the way, Christian, most of you are going to know you've encountered the Most High God in the pages of Scripture, whether you know it or not. And I'll take you all the way back to Daniel, and I'll show you where you find him. Now you've got to go to Babylon, which defeated Assyria. And it's now the superpower of the day. And there's four really godly men. There's Daniel, and then there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the latter three of them would not fall down and worship the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, as a god. So Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage, takes one of the famous Babylonian furnaces... They were known for their brick making. They exported them all around the world. He superheats one of those furnaces, and then he has the soldiers throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with all of their clothes right into the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar is standing at a safe distance away. He's looking through the opening of the furnace, those heat thermal waves obscuring some of the vision. He's looking, and he sees not three men in there walking around. He sees four and the fourth one is outshining the sun. And the fourth one is the most high God. His name is Jesus. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar as he says, and he shouts to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. 
The fire, it says, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had even come upon them. This is the power of the Most High God. This is the power of El Elyon. Not only does he have the power to preserve you in your trial, he has the power to not even let the trial touch you. Now, we all know there's no guarantee. You heard it in the video with Denise. There's no guarantee that a trial or an upheaval won't harm us. But there is a guarantee that Elohim anchors us in the assurance that God will sovereign, sovereignly rule over every trial. And El Elyon assures us he will rule over them with a perfectly good will. Friends, it's like this. Nothing will ever come into your life, Christian, which does not first pass through the hand of God and given permission. But the next name, the next rock across that raging torrent will add even more confidence to the heart of the storm-tossed believer. Look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. Now, there's the third rock, the Lord of hosts. And this name is Jehovah Sabaoth. We've seen Elohim, we've seen El Elyon, now we see Jehovah Sabaoth. He is the Lord of all might, the commander of every army. He is both the commander of the armies in heaven and the ones on earth. He is the God of true power that is with us, verse 7, in our fortress. This is why Luther called our God a mighty fortress. No army, no enemy, human or spiritual, can overcome God. Why? He is Elohim, he is El Elyon, and he is Jehovah Sabaoth. He is present with us, and his power perfectly, sovereignly accomplishes his good will. Now, I did set up for you, right, the circumstances that most believe is behind Psalm 46, with the Assyrian army camped outside the walls of Jerusalem. And I can tell you with utmost confidence they had more than 185,000 soldiers threatening the destruction of Judah. And I can tell you that because here's what 2 Kings 19 says. And before I read it, let me remind you what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, did. He took that letter that Sennacherim said or sent that was mocking them and mocking their God, and he spread it out in the temple and he said, God, what are you going to do about this? I'll tell you what God did. And that night, 2 Kings 19 the angel of the Lord went out. You know who that angel of the Lord is? Jesus. And struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. You know what happened to, to King Sennacherib? Not much more than days later, one of his sons rose up and assassinated him. No one mocks God or his people and gets away with it. That's the power of Jehovah Sabaoth. 
He is a good God that holds all power in his righteous right hand. He is an awesome God. So friends, listen, Christian, child of God, I want you to hear me for a moment. Look at me for a moment because I'm going to ask you to answer this question in your mind. What is there possibly that you need to fear? What? What is there ever that you should fear? With a God like Elohim and El Elyon and Jehovah Sabaoth, what is there to fear? And we're not even done because the psalmist goes on. Point number three, finally, in times of upheaval, remember the Lord's promises will endure. It's not only his power and it's not only his presence, but his promises will endure. Now, I want you to see something. Look at verse 7. And then again, look at verse 11. You see that phrase, the God of Jacob. Here's your fourth rock that you can jump to to get across your upheavals in life. And you've got to be wondering, I mean, listen, you've got to be thinking, why would God ever want to reveal himself as a God of Jacob? Jacob was a liar. He was selfish. He was a deceiver. He was a manipulator. But when God's redeeming love got hold of him, he was transformed with a new character, given a new name, the name Israel, by which God titled his people. You see, the name God of Jacob is the God of patience. You're seeing the attributes of his mercy and his grace, his patience. You're seeing the divine intentionality that he chooses who he loves. And the God of Jacob shows us what Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 1. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This is the God of Jacob, the God that says you don't need to clean up your acts. You don't need to figure it out. You don't need to get your plan in place to get through this trial before I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you in the midst of it. I'm going to deliver you in the midst of the upheaval. Because my mercy, my grace, and my patience knows no bounds. We're four rocks across. But we've got one more to go. And if those four names aren't enough to embolden your confidence in God, then you're invited to verse number eight. Come behold the works of of the Lord. Now let me teach you something about the Old Testament which is different than the New Testament because the word Lord is in both. But in the New Testament, it's kyrios in the Greek. It's never all caps. L-O-R-D, all small caps is what it's technically called. But in the Old Testament, whenever you see, and everybody hear this because it's over 6,000 times, Whenever you see the name Lord in the Old Testament, all small caps, L-O-R-D, look at your Bible, you'll see it. When you see that, you're seeing the name for God, Yahweh. It becomes Jehovah later. But it's Yahweh. And what is Yahweh? That's the name of God that is a personal name. It's a personal name that he only gives to his people. This name he does not give to the pagan nations around Israel. 
The only ones that could call him Lord, the only ones that could call him Yahweh are those of his redeemed. And it is a password, listen, that you double click into a panorama of blessings and promises that are for you and they are eternal and they are unchanging because the very nature of God is he is not able to change. That's Yahweh, it's the greatest name for God in the Bible. Now, somebody might be saying, well, wait a minute. You just said Yahweh is the greatest name in the Bible. I don't agree with that. I think it's Jesus. Let me take you to Philippians chapter 2. God has a highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him, given to him, the name that is above every other name. What is the name that is above every other name? Well, it goes on. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the New Testament's version of Yahweh from the Old to the glory of God the Father. Friends, Jesus Christ is Yahweh. He has the name that is above every name. And believer, Christian, do you know what that means? I mean, you just jumped to the fifth rock. It did not shift. It cannot shift. Why? Because God's nature is eternal. It is immovable. It is unchangeable. And his nature is, I love you personally. And my promises for you are given. They find their yes in Jesus, 2 Corinthians 1. They will not change. I am not fickle. I do not change my mind. The promises I gave you yesterday will be the promises, promises for you tomorrow. But how do you have that promise? How do you have that promise? Do you not know that the moment you realized that you are a sinner, that you had fallen short of the glory of God, and his judgment to you was one of guilt, and you fled to the cross in your faith, with nothing to hide behind, not your good works, not your moral character, not your pedigree of your family that went to church all your life. That means nothing. You cannot bank on it and you cannot hide behind it. It has no merit in the eyes of God. The only thing that does is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And you came to the cross and you put your faith, you believed, you said, I know, I believe he died for me. And you confess to him that you're a sinner. That moment, he saved you. And just as sure as God raised Jesus from the dead back to life, he gave you new life. You are a new creation. You are a recreated being. The spirit of God is in you. You are now a child of God. He is your father. Jesus is your brother. The very promises and the very blessings that belong to Jesus now belong to you. Why? Because you are in him and he is in you. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and the spirit of God. God has given to you a divine advance on your inheritance. You get some of it now. It's all coming later. This is what it means to have the promises of God in your life, and it cannot change. It is there forever. 
And it's why Corrie ten Boom, who survived a Nazi concentration camp, even though her sister did not, could later write, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. How do you move all five of those names of God from your mind to your heart? Will you believe? Will you have faith? Will you trust? And if you will, those truths will become now, even now, pouring into your heart. And when that trial comes, for which, of which, you will never get an advance warning, when it begins to come and blow into your life, and that raging torrent of an upheaval comes, you've got five rocks to jump on and get across safely to the other side. God is your Elohim. He is the sovereign creator. He rules creation above and and within, and he is your El Elyon. He is powerful. He has all might, and he displays it in perfect goodness, and he is your Jehovah Sabaoth. He holds all the power of all the armies, and he brings his power to, a, to, a, to your benefit. Why? Because he loves you, even though you don't deserve it, because he is the God of Jacob, and he is Yahweh. His promises for you cannot change. Do you know personally that God? Do you really know the God of Psalm 46? Now, I'm almost done. So if you could just bear with me just for a few moments more. Likely not everybody here knows that God personally. Certainly not everybody online knows this God personally. Well, how do you come to know him? There are zero hoops that you have to jump through to have a relationship with God. His son, Jesus, jumped through all of them for you. You simply believe. You simply cry out, God, I am a sinner. I do not deserve this, but I believe that you love me and that you made a way for me to be saved, to have eternal life with you through Jesus on the cross, and when you brought him back to life, that was your exclamation point that this is true, and it's for me as well, and I'm asking, would you save me? And I want to tell you, if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you what awaits you at the base of the cross. Your Elohim and Elyon and your Jehovah Sabaoth, and your God of Jacob and your Yahweh are all, that God is beckoning you and inviting you. You can know me. I'm displaying myself to you. I'm inviting you to have a relationship with me. And if you do, then you will have five rocks that will safely take you through every trial and life you will ever experience. You know what Martin Luther would often say to his friends when he was anxious? Anxiety is something we all share. He would say this, let us sing the 46th Psalm and then let the devil do his worst. That's faith. That's trust. And the God who has revealed himself as El Ohim, El Elyon, Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of Jacob, 
and Yahweh. Do you trust that, God? Father, I thank you as we close in prayer and as the worship team comes up, Lord, I praise you for Psalm 46. Father, it is an amazing psalm. And Lord, I would pray for all of us, myself included, Father, that we would learn the names of God, that they would anchor deeply in our heart, that we would believe them, that we would trust our God. For you have revealed yourself in so many ways, but in this psalm, you are Elohim, you are El Elyon, you are Jehovah Sabaoth, you are the God of Jacob, and you are Yahweh, the greatest name that's above every name. Lord, we thank you. We ask, Lord, for those who are in a trial now, for those who have recently come out of one, and for all of us who will soon be back in one, God, we pray that you would sustain us with a knowledge of who our God is, that the name of the Lord Yahweh will be a strong tower and the righteous will run in it and be safe. May we make you our mighty fortress for you deserve our trust. We love you, we thank you, and we worship you even into this last song. Let us sing with our hearts, not just with our lips, and stand before our great God and worship you in Jesus' name, amen.